together corporately. Uh, If you'd open your Bible to Luke 19. And uh, we're going to pray before we read this morning. God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. What a privilege, Lord, that we can... That you've spoken to us, God. And we just pray for your word, Lord, that it would be powerful and active and that it would move this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 19, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a noble went a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave to them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray. God, we just again thank you for your word, Lord. What a privilege that you have spoken to us in word, Lord, that we can have with us and... uh, God, we just pray for your spirit this morning to speak to us. Speak to us through Jackie, Lord. We just pray for the anointing of your spirit on him, God, and anoint us with your spirit that we may hear and understand the things you have for us this morning, God. We just thank you again for the power in your word and the change that you want to make in all of us, God. We just pray that we would not leave this place unchanged by you, that you would would stain us, that we would be... um, visible to all the people in the world that we would witness for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. How's everybody this morning? You hanging in there? Well, as we come to this uh, section of Scripture before us this morning, it should remind us of another one. You guys heard something similar to this before, haven't you? The book of Matthew tells us a parable of the talents. 
And sometimes, that might be on. Yeah, it's live. I'm going to start hollering in a minute. It'll blow up. Okay. <laughs> You're right. So when we look at Matthew's parable of the talents, here's what I want you to understand. A lot of people try to connect these two. They don't connect. So we want to be careful. The Bible tells us it challenges us with rightly dividing or comprehending or interpreting the word of God. And when we do that, there are times when we need to be a, a harmonizer, a joiner. And there are times where we are a splitter. And sometimes the stories are very different. We need to understand the differences, but the language we don't get, right? You guys know what a mina is? No, so you say, mina, what in the world are they talking about? And the other one is the parable of the talents. And we say, oh, talent, what is a talent? Well, a talent's playing guitar or singing, right? But that's, that's not what the Bible's talking about. So when we look at them, Matthew is about opportunities and Luke is about obligation. So when we look at this story, we, we want to understand that. In, in the book of Matthew, the parable of the talents, they're given talents based on their ability. In the book of Luke, they're each given the same thing. They're all given a mina. If we look at the, the gospel of Matthew, they're each given different amounts. Some are given more, some are given less. And they give an accounting to the master, to the Lord when he comes. In, uh, in Luke, they all have just one basic task. Take this mina that the Lord has given and use it. In, uh, in Matthew, a talent is over 12 years wages. That's a lot of money. Yeah? In Luke, a mina is three months wages. They're not the same. They're not dealing with the same thing. In fact, when we come to the Gospel of Luke, we want to understand the purpose. And if we want to understand the purpose, we look at the beginning. It says in verse 11, as they heard these things. What things? We just talked about it last week. Do you remember? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he, right? Come on, we got to remember some of the things we learned in Sunday school, no? And when we look at it, what happened to Zacchaeus? Well, at the end, Jesus makes a proclamation. He says, truly, salvation has come to this home. And then he makes this statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem. Now, since chapter 9 of Luke, if you've been with us for the whole time... I know you have to go back a long time. Chapter 9 might have been six months ago. Sorry. But we, we started chapter 9 and it said that Jesus turned his eyes toward Jerusalem. Now, when he gets there, what happens? He's headed to the crucifixion, right? And so he says he's near to Jerusalem. And so he tells them this parable because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They're thinking when we get to Jerusalem, it's all going to change. Jesus is going to take control. He's going to become king. We're going to stop having to be under the thumb of Rome and we'll get all those bad people. Because that's what we do. You know, if we don't understand the whole scope of Scripture, we're really going to miss and we start to get focused on all the wrong things. We start to become Pharisees. You see, the, the day after... The, the 
tax collector or the, or the harlot gets saved, they're in danger of becoming a Pharisee. Because everybody thinks somebody else don't belong. They're thinking, man, we want the kingdom. Bring the kingdom. And I want the kingdom too. And we're supposed to pray that way, right? We're supposed to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes? So we're looking for the kingdom. But we lose sight of what the kingdom coming means. What happens every time a kingdom is overtaken by another kingdom? We go all the way back. On Wednesday nights we've been talking about Isaiah. And we've been talking a lot about the statue, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel. And the vision that Daniel had about the kingdoms of men. And how are the kingdoms of men described by God? As beasts. What does every kingdom have in common with the next one? They all fail. Head of gold goes to chest of silver, goes to, to body of bronze, goes to iron, goes to iron mixed with clay. They're constantly changing. Why? Because the heart of man will always be rebellious against his God and King until Jesus Christ reigns. The one thing that man is able to do is hate man. Maybe it's a man of a different color, from a different culture, from a different part of the world. It doesn't make any difference. We excel at the ability to hate one another. We do not, I don't care what you say, we do not excel at the ability to love one another. So Jesus comes to prepare the hearts of men to receive a kingdom that we can't even fathom. So when he stands before the people on the Sermon on the Mount, you guys ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Unequivocally, the greatest teaching ever given by any person ever. And if we read that Sermon on the Mount, we should be struck with the inability we have to be what it says. Because that goes against our nature. Jesus came... He was on his way to Jerusalem so that he could change what is the nature of man. So that man could become more than he is. So that man could actually be in a place where he could recognize his God and Savior. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So the disciples think the kingdom's going to come and God's going to put down all these people. Listen, we studied it. You want to look at the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord looks like the end of this uh, parable. You want to see what the day of the Lord is? The day when Jesus' kingdom comes? Read Revelation 19. What happens when a new king comes? He puts down the rebellion. It doesn't wave a wand and everybody becomes good. He's provided for that already. Right? He's provided for men to be able to quell the rebellion. Right now, man just has to be willing willing to receive. The provision has been made. So they're looking, they're saying, Lord, your kingdom come. And that's indeed what we want. But we have to, we cannot separate the coming of the kingdom from the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, according to Revelation chapter 19, describes a king returning to the land that has rejected him as their king he's come to take control and when he does they look upon him and they say where have you been 
And he says, I've been walking from Basra, which is basically the Jezreel Valley. I've been walking from Basra all the way to Jerusalem. And they they say, what is this? You look like you've been trampling grapes. Why? Because the blood of his enemies are all over him. So the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, right? Do we get it? That's why this parable is so important, because this parable says, you have a job to do. So stop being people who say, Lord, come, save us, get us out of all this mess, and not being a people who says, I need to make sure the person standing next to me knows that Jesus Christ has made a way for him to quell the rebellion in his heart and to find himself not in a place of judgment at the return of Christ. We don't get to remove those two things. When Jesus tells this parable, they're together. Yeah. Hallelujah and praise the Lord that we who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are saved. Is your neighbor? When God's kingdom comes, it'll be too late. The rebellion will be put down. The only one who seems to be dragging his feet about the kingdom is who? Jesus. Yeah, why? Well, according to Peter, Peter says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. He's not slow to bring about his... He desires that everyone have an opportunity to repent. Yes? Because he knows what that day means. But his disciples didn't take him very long to become Pharisees and say, Wipe out all those Romans. You really want to see that? Or maybe the church has, has got a, a bum rap because we're so busy pointing out the failures in everyone else. And get them, God, get them, and get them, and get them. Really? I would go so far to say, if you saw that day, you wouldn't be stoked. You would understand that we have a job. And we ain't been doing our job. Which means when the kingdom comes, there's a whole lot of pain and suffering for those that we did not point out their rebellion. Listen, the Bible is very clear. God doesn't condemn people for the God they don't know. You understand that? The argument about the pygmy in Africa or wherever the pygmy is doesn't work. Romans chapter 1 says God is responsible or that that man is responsible for what God has shown them. It says in Romans chapter 1 that God has shown everyone. He has shown everyone that he is. No such thing as there's not enough evidence. Every time somebody tells me there's not enough evidence, all that means is I like my rebellion, I like my sin, and I don't want to change. It's my job then to make sure they understand that God is calling them to repentance. Not to make sure I get on their Christmas card mailing list. And I make them feel so comfortable and good in their sin that they don't ever want to change. Because one day Jesus will come. And on that day it will be too late. So the Bible says we should be found not guilty of the blood of every man. Because we were willing to sound the trumpet. To make the declaration. You know... God's calling 
every man everywhere to repent and believe. We have a job to do. The disciples are thinking, you know what? I think the kingdom's coming tomorrow and I'm glad. Wipe out all those dirty Romans. Somebody always has somebody else they look down on, right? Somebody else they don't like. Somebody else they want to see God judge. But we don't often say, God judge me. But that's what the Bible says. If you judge yourself, you would not be judged. Every man knows. Every man knows. And every man loves his sin. And so God calls us to do a job. He declares for us in this parable. Look at verse 12. He said, therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. That's something that they would do all the time. There's a fellow in 4 BC. His name was Archelaus. He's the son of Herod the Great. In order for him to become king, it wasn't just it doesn't just happen because, hey, Herod the Great was king, so you, you get to be king too. You had to go to Rome. Why? Because Rome at the day was the governing authority. So if you were going to have any authority in any region around the world, you went to Rome to get that authority. So Archelaus went to, to Rome to get the authority to come back and be Herod, to be uh, king again of, of, in, in Palestine. And you know what happened? The interesting thing happened. The Jews all got together and they said, we don't like this guy and we're tired of the Herods. So they went to Rome too. And they opposed him in Rome to Caesar. They opposed him. They said, no, we don't want him. We don't want him to rule over us. And so Caesar says, well, okay, I won't make you king. We'll call you an ethnarch, you know. So we all go, what's ethnarch? Who cares? It wasn't king, right? You're an ethnarch, but the problem is you still have authority over Palestine. So he comes back to Palestine. What do you think he did to the Jews who opposed him? Yeah, he killed them all. That's what happens when you oppose a king. So he says this nobleman, he went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. He goes far away. Now who's the nobleman in the story? Well, in the story, the nobleman is Jesus. We know when he goes to Jerusalem, he's not going to be crowned king. So what is he doing? He's going to a far country. Where's the far country that he's going to? Heaven. Who has authority over heaven and earth? God the Father, who he gives it to the Son, right? And that, what it says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority is that? Okay, so we're pretty clear. Everybody understand so far. All authority is given to him. So he's going to go to a far country. For what purpose? To receive for himself a kingdom. Listen, God made this all. It's his. The word of God declares that the earth is his and the fullness thereof. All the things we buy and sell and trade with one another. Who's it belong to? God. The air we breathe. Who's it belong to? God. The sun that shines. Who's it belong to? God. It is all his. The entire universe. To deny his existence... Beside being incredibly arrogant, is a great insult 
And a God who was less would just wipe everybody out and start over. But according to Ephesians 2, we who were dead in our trespasses in sin, but God, who is rich in his mercy, he made a way. Huh? You and I would have quit. Come on, I hear stories all the time. I want a puppy, I want a puppy, I got a puppy, I don't like the puppy, I need to get rid of the puppy, let's get rid of the puppy. Take the puppy out, shoot the puppy. Take the puppy and give it to somebody else to shoot the puppy. Take the puppy and give it to the pound. Don't tell me you don't do that. If there is a way to do that with your kids, you might find a way. (laughs) So when we look at it, we can see what's in our heart, right? And the problem is, most of the world, because that's in their heart, that's how they judge God. But God waits. God comes. God makes a way. But a holy and just God will not let sin go, will not let rebellion go, and not square it. There will be a reckoning. He went to a far away place to receive a kingdom for himself, to have himself appointed king. We see it. Now, I'm going to explain to you, hopefully hopefully you guys can kind of get the picture, but when Jesus dies, he's buried... He rises again, he spends time with his, his disciples, his apostles, he gets them all charged up, tells them to wait here in, in Jerusalem, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, the church is birthed, and the job of the church, the minors are, are given, and the church goes. Ready, go. And then at the end, after 50 days, Jesus ascends into heaven. And he ascends into heaven, and an angel stands there and says, Don't worry, this whom you've seen go will also return in like manner. The same way you've seen him go, he's coming back. Where did he go? Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in a night vision, says Daniel, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Just picture it. Jesus just left earth. He's ascending into heaven. And he ascends there. As he ascends, he says, Daniel says, I saw him. One like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? It's the Father. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Doesn't that sound like the end of Matthew? Jesus said, how much authority has been given to me? All authority. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples... All nations, all languages will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Every human kingdom ends. Why? Because every human is broken. And unless we submit our brokenness to the God who heals, we'll remain broken. When Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, there'll be no end to that because that kingdom will be perfect. Now, it can't be perfect if I'm there. Not like I am. So what has to happen to me? Paul would write, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How, who are we becoming? We're becoming like who? 
Jesus, right? And when we see him, scripture says, we will be like him. That's the only people get in the kingdom. There's no side door, back door, cellar door. One way, Jesus said, there is one way to the Father. One way, and how is it? Through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. How many is no men? So you guys understand so far, right? No one comes. In Revelation eleven fifteen, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I guarantee the king will return. And he will set up his kingdom. But he's given us a charge, just like he's given a charge here. It says in verse 13, So calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus. And he said to them, Engage in business till I come. So he gives to each one gets one. Ten servants, each one gets one mina. They all get the same thing. And they're told to do, do business. Stay engaged. Be who you are supposed to be. Now, if I am a servant of the master in this story, then I'm supposed to be about the master's business, right? When Jesus was asked when his parents lost him, which had to be kind of a freaky moment, right? If you're in charge of the Son of God and you lost him, you wouldn't freak out a little? Yeah, for sure. When they found him, what did Jesus say? Did you not know I must be what? About my father's business. If, if we are servants of the master, then we are supposed to be about his business. Right? He's given us all the same thing. Well, there's only one thing that can be. There's only one thing that we all have been given. The good news of the gospel. What do you do with it? What do we do with the mina that we have been given? So he calls them and he gives to each of them. He tells them to engage. Now there's two things we want to understand. He wants us to be doing business until he comes. And then in verse 15, it says, When he returned, he ordered those servants that he had given money to be called to him, that he might know um, what they had gained. So two things. One, he wants us to be about his business. Two, there will be a reckoning. It is appointed unto man once to die and then account. There will be a reckoning. When the master comes, there will be a reckoning. Every single one of the parables that Jesus told about the master coming, what did he tell his servants to be doing? Watch and what? Be ready for what? To give an account. To have a day of reckoning. To say, Lord, this is what I've been doing while you were gone. The true king, this is what I've been doing for your kingdom while you've been gone. There will be a day of reckoning that we will be called to, to give an account. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's Paul talking about the day of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning for the unbeliever. And there is a day of reckoning for the believer. One has to do with salvation or damnation. The other has to do with whether or not you have pleased your king. Does that matter to you? A lot of times we say things like, you know, it would be fine with me as long as I'll sweep the gutters as long as I can get in. I don't want to stand my one moment standing before the king, looking in his eyes, and hear some of the things that were the report of the churches in the book of Revelation. You have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. I don't want to hear that. I wish that you were hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm, so I will vomit you out of my mouth. I don't want to hear that either. And on that moment, standing before the king, what would you give then? To hear, well done. You are good and faithful. God's not asking you to be something he doesn't equip you to be. Two things he wants of you. He wants your faithful love. Something that we would demand of the person sitting next to us. And he wants you to know him. It's not that complicated, is it? Again, the thing that we would, we would expect of anyone who loves us. Know me. Be faithful to me. He has given to each one the same. There will be a day of reckoning. It says in Romans 14.10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? We spend a lot of time doing this. I hear a lot of complaints about other people. <laughs> so, if you give more than one complaint about somebody else, the problem's probably not somebody else. Problem's probably you. Yeah, if you bang heads with every single person you meet, it's problem for you. Why do you spend your time judging, passing judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you hate your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're going to stand before him. He said, this is how they'll know you belong to me. By how you love each other. Huh? Crazy how that is. God wants us to be faithful to him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love one another. He's given us all the same thing. What are you going to do with it? What are we going to do with what he has given? Verse 14 tells us that the citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. The rebellion of man. 
The book of Genesis tells the fall of man into three phases. First, we have the fall in Genesis. Then we have his corruption in Genesis 6. Then we have his rebellion in Genesis 10. And man has been in a state of rebellion ever since. Rebellion against his king. What do they say? We won't have this man rule over us. That's what Romans 1 says. Of everyone who has not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, our God and King. Everyone knows they won't bow. He says here, they hated him. In Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, a, a psalm about the coming of the king. It says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? You can't beat God. The rebellion is doomed to fail. You can't beat him. You can put it in the papers, God's dead. That don't make God dead, just so you know. You can stand on top of the mountain and shake your fist, but it's not going to change anything. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers together take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What does the world say to God? We will not have this one rule over us. That's the rebellion. Every man is in it. If he doesn't know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Every man is in that rebellion. John 1.11 says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. John 15.25 But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. What word? They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. John 19, 15. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. God is not our king. John 19, 21 and 22. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. Why? He's not our king. Just write, he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Acts 17, 5 says, But the Jews were jealous. Taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring out the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world... <clears throat> upside down have come here also and Jason received them and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king Jesus 1 Thessalonians 2:14 for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, drove us out, and they displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as also, or so as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Isaiah 53, 3. So he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And one from whom men hide their faces, 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. The noble went, but the people opposed him. The rebellion of man is strong and it continues. You don't think it continues? Try to pass out Bibles at school. You be opposed. Then try to pass out condoms. Is the world a little backwards? They try to stop the word from going forward. So much so, they hate him so much, they want to take his name out of Christmas. (laughs) Right? Happy holidays. Season's greetings. No? No? It's a world in rebellion against her maker. The one who made them. Who built them. Who gave them the air that they breathe. The sun they enjoy. The beauty of nature around them. The rebellion is strong. In verse 16 we see. Now the day of reckoning begins. The day of reckoning is coming. While the citizens hated him, it says, he returns, he comes. In verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina, whose was it? Oh, funny how that is. Lord, your mina has made ten minas. Did the servant do it? Isaiah 55 says that the word of God will always accomplish what it's sent to do. Self-replicating. If a man will bow his knee to the word. Self-replicating. The word of God changes us, right? From the inside out. Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. So he said to him... Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, Minas wasn't considered a lot of money, because you have been faithful in very little, you will have authority over ten cities. Wow, that's a big reward, no? For a slave? Sounds like a mean, mean master, right? A hard and austere man who takes what doesn't belong to him. Oh, it doesn't? Inconsistency is a mother... Of a failed argument. The next servant comes before him. Lord your mina has made five minas. And he said to him. And you are to be over five cities. Again great reward. Great reward. Vastly superior to what was done by the servants. Who were simply being faithful to their master. The commendation is you have been faithful with a little. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says they sang a new song. Saying worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And ye have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You've been faithful with a little, but he gives much. Revelation 26 says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. And they will be priests of God and of his Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. By the way, that's the highest numbering Greek reckoning. Second Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Be faithful in a little. It's the same thing we see happening in this story, no? Then it says in verse 20, Then another came, another servant. Now ten servants were given. We're only going to hear a reckoning from three. Everybody else falls somewhere in that category, right? One being the best, one being the worst, and one being somewhere in the middle. You guys tracking with me? So this one, another comes to him and says, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. That sound like a guy who just gave away ten cities? Or like a guy who gave away five. And whose minor was it? Two things God says he wants. Your faithful love. What's the second one? Do you know him? Or is that how you see him? Do you know the God who stays his hand and awaits judgment for, for people to repent? In fact... One of the letters to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, there's a woman there described as Jezebel, a, a, a woman who calls herself a prophetess. You know, the next line says, God says, and I have given her time to repent. I've given her time to repent. You're a severe man taking what doesn't belong to you. What doesn't belong to him? If you were a slave in a master's house, what doesn't belong to the master? Do we have a hard time understanding that? How much is his? It's not mine. It ain't mine. It's all his. So he said to him, this is what the master says, I will condemn you with your own words. What does that mean? I'll be the, I'll be the kind of man you think I am. You think I'm hard? I'm going to show you the inconsistency in your worldview. Don't miss it. I'm going to show you the inconsistency. Oh, I thought you were a hard man taking what doesn't belong to you, what you didn't sow. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. So since you knew I was a severe man taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why did you put the money in the bank? If that's really what you thought, Why didn't you do something with it? Inconsistency is the mother of a failed argument. Oh, he's harsh. He's he's judgmental. He's mean. He takes what doesn't belong to him. Well, if that was true in an earthly relationship, that's that's the guy you take care of his stuff. No? So the reality is that's not what he really thought. What he really thought was, you're not ever coming back and I don't got to do nothing. 
What he really was was apathetic. What he really was was lazy. That's what he really was. He wrapped it in a handkerchief. Matthew gives us a clue. And Matthew, the story of the talents, he doesn't wrap it in a handkerchief. What's he do? He buries it. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but in their law, not in the Bible, in their law, if someone gave you a great sum of money to take care of, you were absolved of the responsibility if you lost it, if you buried it. So actually the guy who buries it is trying to to make sure he's covered. The guy who doesn't bury it doesn't even care that much. He sticks it in a box somewhere in the closet, puts it underneath his tennis shoes, his go-fasters, and he forgets about it until the master comes. So the master says, if you had put my money in the bank, literally, that's not bank, that's on the money tables. That's what it says in Greek. If you put it on the money tables, you guys remember the money tables? In the next, cha- in the next section, Jesus is going to turn them over. Yeah? You remember the money tables where they're exchanging money? You need to put my money on the money table. At least I've got something, right? There would have been something that would have been responded from it. If you had put it in the bank, I might have collected interest. So he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give him to the one who has ten. But they said, but he already has ten. That's what we do, huh? Somewhere somebody told us everything's supposed to be fair. What did you tell your kids when they, they said, that's not fair, mom? You're kidding me. Where did you come up with that crazy idea? I would say it's very fair. Why is it very fair? Because to whom much is given, much is required. And if you prove yourself faithful, what's God say? I'll give you more. If you prove yourself faithful, I'll give you more. What, what does that imply? If I don't prove myself faithful, what happens? Well, he's going to say it in the next verse, isn't he? He says, I tell you, everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, there's a distinction in the parable. There's a distinction here. What's the distinction? What he has is taken away, but he's still one of the servants. He's still there. How do I know? Because the next verse, he's going to talk about the ones who aren't. Do you see the next one? The next verse, he says, But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. So before you get to decide who those enemies are, he tells you, right? There's a distinction made between those enemies and this wicked, unfaithful servant. Because when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not a judgment of salvation. But the Bible does tell us that there will be some there that will smell like smoke. Why? They barely made it. Because our works save us? No. Our works don't save us. That's why you're saved. If it was about our works, this guy would have been out with those guys.
He says there will be those there saved, though as by fire. You ever had someone, maybe one of your parents when you were younger, if you're young, maybe one of your parents now, and some event, something happened, and they looked at you and they said, I'm just really disappointed in you. And you felt that feeling where you're like, oh, that, I'd rather took the beating. Now imagine that from God. I will tell you on that day, in that reckoning, there will be nothing you wouldn't trade to hear well done. Nothing. None of the stuff that weighed you down, none of the things that distracted you, none of those things are going to matter as much in that moment. And we have to guard ourselves against the apathy, the laziness that just says, I don't need to do anything, do I? Jesus said to these, do business till I come. Verse 27, again, bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's in the Bible? Yeah, that's in the Bible. God will put down rebellion. He will put it down. But he has waited. For what? For men to repent. He won't wait forever. It's not been forever yet. And so he gave his disciples, you and I, those who believe, he gave us a job. He gave us each a mina. He gave us each the seed of the word from the parable of the sowers. And he's asked us to go sow the seed. Right? We go sow the seed. And one day we'll give an account. What did you do with the seed I gave you? What did you do with the things that I entrusted into your hands? What did you do with them? And I'll give an account to God of those things. And on that day, I'll have an opportunity to look into the God of the universe who owns it all, who made it all, and have him say to me, Wow, I'm so proud of you. Or hear him say, I'm so disappointed. Because for God, don't miss this connection. For God, his return means the slaughter of his enemies. And he doesn't want any of those. So he's tasked you and I. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. So go, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them the things that I taught you. And know I am with you even to the end. I will return. I will come back. And there will be a reckoning. So he wants his disciples to know, we're heading into Jerusalem. You guys think I'm going to sit on a throne. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. You guys think everything's going to become rosy. And it will, eventually. But first, it's going to get really dark. You're going to hit the depths of despair. And I want you, my servants, to know, I'm going away and I'm going to be gone a while. 
But when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Will you be faithful with what I've given you? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, to study your word, Lord God. I pray, God, that it would do what Isaiah 55 said, Lord. It says that your word will go forth and it will do a job. It will... It will do surgery on my heart if that's what's needed. It will show me its area of sin in my life that I can confess if that's what's needed. It will call me to repentance. So I turn from the things that are not profitable and turn to the things that are. God, I just pray that we would be obedient. James would say it like this. Don't, don't just be those who hear and say, that's a good word, and go away and forget. Because he's like a man who looks in a mirror and sees dirt on his face, but before he can wipe it away, he's looked away from the mirror and he forgets what manner of man he is. Be who you want us to be hinges on our ability, our willingness to turn from that which is not profitable and turn toward that which is. To turn away from all the systems of men and the ideas of men and turn toward God. Turn toward you for you're the only one who can change my heart for the word declares my heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. God says that of every heart and we think it's not mine. We need to keep our heart in check. So we need you. We need your spirit in us. Because you said, I'll take that heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's as we walk with you in the cool of the evening, even as as Adam did, when we walk with you, when we talk with you, when we know you, when we are faithful to you, all of those things draw us nearer. We become the men and the women we want to be. We become the men and the women walking in victory, the victory of Jesus Christ, not mine. It's His work in me. God, I just pray that we would not only stop our own rebellion, but that we would recognize there is a day coming And it will be a glorious day and there will be such a beautiful thing that happens. But that all happens after the enemies are slaughtered. So God, you said, I wait. I wait. I want every man to repent. I don't know how many men need to or or how many will. none of that's in my control. I don't have the ability to make anyone repent. What I do have the ability to do is to open my mouth and call men to repentance, to believe, to trust in God, to receive salvation, to bow the knee, to recognize that now we can of our own free will. And the result is God does a work of salvation. He justifies and sanctifies me. And I discover I can be the father I want to be. I can be the husband I want to be. I can be the man I want to be. I can be the person I want to be. Only because Jesus Christ is my king.
God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would do a work in our heart because Jesus Christ made the way. He paid it all. And I owe him everything. May I not withhold a single thing from him. May you be glorified, God, as we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name. just want to encourage anyone, if they need a prayer for anything this morning, just to come forward. i got people up here that will pray for you.